Okay, so it is February 10th, and I am recording this in the middle of an impeachment trial a second time. So we're going to talk about how our brains are wired for political hatred. This should be interesting. Stay tuned. In a world of incompetent bosses, micromanagers, and petty tyrants, one management professor claims that he can help you become the kind of leader that you would want to follow. You are listening to The Leadersmith. Now, here is your host, Darren Gertis. Okay, so what I want to talk about is from an article in the Daily UW, that is University of Washington's website. It's by Michelle Ostrich. It's entitled, How Our Brains Are Wired for Political Hatred. And, uh, you know, right now, watching the impeachment trial yesterday, I'm listening to one thinking, how, what, where are you getting your facts? And I'm listening to the other and nodding my head along with it. And then I turn on the cable news and I understand my side, but then I flip to the other side's cable news and I think, how are they saying that? And I'm wondering why they're thinking that I am all these things where I feel so misjudged and misunderstood and whatever else when they try to describe people of my political elk. Okay, so this is a really interesting article um, about how we're wired for political hatred. And we just don't see things eye to eye. Political polarization, it's not at an all-time high. I mean, there was uh, in the late 60s, in the... Um, you know, 1861, when the Civil War broke out, that was higher, but it's it's at an all-time high in my memory. Um, and so political polarization is impacting uh, all of our, all of us, all of our relationships, all our the way that we interact with other people. Um, and there's this professor at the University of Washington, Professor Emeritus Rene Levy. Rene is a he, uh, and he was in the pharmaceutical uh, Department of Pharmaceutics, but he spent his time studying the emotion of hatred, okay? And so it, you come up with some really interesting things trying to understand the emotion of hatred. And so he said that initially he thought when he started setting out to study this, that he was going to find that the that hatred came from uh, political tribalism. I'm in this team, you're in that team. I, I'm, I'm with the Mets, you're with the Yankees, so I hate you and vice versa. That's part of it, but that's not all of it. There's this us versus them mentality that comes from this political tribalism, but it's, it's far deeper than that. He said it was something far worse. He says this, quote, in politics, tribalism leads partisans to compete with each other, but today's partisans don't want to compete. They want to dominate or eliminate. Wow. And that's kind of what you're seeing when you're when you're talking about like cancel culture and other things along those lines. You're seeing people that aren't just trying to I mean, they're just trying to wipe their opponents off the field. Um, and so we're, we're just in a, in a very different, more toxic kind of time. He says partisans, you know, uh, to define them, partisans are people that are consistent on either side. Like they'll vote for the Democrat candidate or the Republican candidate all the time. They'll just continue to be uh, like that. And there's, uh, he said, 135 million people in the United States who consider themselves partisans. So roughly 70 million on either side, give or take, um, are going to be partisans. Now, partisans don't like the other side. They think they're bad, they're evil, they're whatever else. Um, it's it's not just, I think, and it's gotten to a place where it used to be where, like, if, if you were of that other ilk, you're not on my team, well, you're wrong. 
Um, I don't like that. I'm voting a different way. But now it's gotten to a place where it's more dangerous than just disagreement between ideology. It's more like um, something's wrong with this person or this person isn't understanding reality. Or And we, and we look at the same event and misinterpret it. So l- listen to the way that people interpret, say, the Capitol Hill riots, right? Or Capitol Hill insurrection. So if you're on the left, then these right-wingers are coming to insurrect because after all, they were following a fascist for however many years. If you're on the right, you don't see fascism because you that, that's your guy and you see a guy that was you know maybe robbed during the election and now these people were boneheaded by going into the Capitol and doing that and desecrating the Capitol. And you condemned it, but it's not an insurrection, an insurrection is where you like call the military guys to take over by force, right? That's, you, you just see it differently. Okay. Same facts, but you interpret it differently. Okay. So he goes on and says that, uh, an empire historically gets destroyed from the inside out where people are at each other. And we talked about this in a previous episode, but yeah. So that's where it's most dangerous, far more dangerous than being attacked from the outside. Because you start hating each other and destroying your, each other from within. So he published a book called um, uh, Mending America's Political Divide. I have not yet read it. It is on my reading list. I'm looking forward to it. But he outlines that uh, a number of concepts that we're going to talk about here. And, and before we get to those three big concepts, he talks about how you know we have to stop thinking in our... Uh, in certain parts of our brain and start start thinking in other parts. So, for example, um, you know, when you feel this perceived threat to your safety, you get what's called an amygdala hijack, okay? So, uh, and I'll talk about that in a little bit, but he says first that his goal is to help people choose the significance that they attribute to their political differences, to, you know, um, again, use the Capitol Hill riots again, which is the the focus of this impeachment to recalibrate to, um, you know, what significance do you give to what events, right? Because if you're on the left, you're a diehard partisan on the left. Well, that that's just a stain on the right that, that see, I knew that they were going to try to do this. If you're on the right, it is a stain, right? That's wrong. But you you condemned it. No one that you know is like that. And nobody, you know, wanted that to happen. Like, you're like, oh, good grief. That's just giving everybody on our team a black eye. So if you recalibrate and think differently about your, you know, the way that you see things, you can get to a different place. What, how, how would you, if you're on the right, okay, how would you see that if that was uh, BLM swarming the Capitol? So the, the problem here is that people on the left and the right have started hating people that aren't on their team. It's not just a matter of you're wrong. It's like, I hate those people. In fact, there are studies now that they would rather, you know, like if your son or daughter were to marry somebody in on the other side of the political fence, like you'd rather that they not get married or, or all kinds of other bad life choices happen rather than that. Um, so hating millions of people threatens our society because it threatens our well-being. We can't get along. And this hatred is destroying empathy. And you're not going to get along very well. You're not going to survive as one unified nation doing that. Um, the, the, the bottom, the base of this is that people start treating other people not as people, but as objects. So they're not human beings with dignity made in the image of God that need to be respected, but they're objects that we can throw away, uh, that we can treat however we want, that we can um, be 
just so destructive with and uh, verbally lash out with on Facebook or whatever. Okay, so he talks about how the brain works. So the brain works in a particular way where when you take in new information, if that new information doesn't you know fit with what you already have, you have cognitive dissonance. But here, when you're so partisan, you ignore that information, you harden into that you know, whatever it is that you believe. So you don't get that cognitive dissonance to be able to learn and grow. Um, and this is what causes that political hatred and leads to more societal distrust. It's amplified by the cable news cycle. It's amplified by your friends all piling on and your social media, because I don't care who you are, which side of the divide, your friends are probably you know, many times more in whatever team you're on, left or right, than on the other side in your social media thread, uh, unless you're just totally in the middle. People that are in this uh, tend to become obsessed with this vengeance. And he talked about how, uh, I'm going to quote here, political hatred has no true test. It is manufactured by stories, by propaganda, and propaganda works. We are programmed to believe what we hear, and we have to know that. So if you're hearing if you're hearing these stories, these stories are like, oh no, this is happening, and so this is so bad, and the other team is doing it. Okay, but wait a minute. Um, recognize that people are playing on you, and that's you know the left will point rightly, I think, at QAnon as you know manufacturing stories, but they believe the Russia hoax. They believe the Russian conspiracy, which is largely debunked as far as um, as far as we can tell. So. Each side has its own issues, and we have to be careful with that. So what happens is, biologically, the amygdala, this part in your brain, this primitive part in your brain, when I say primitive, I don't mean that it's, you know, old. It's just, it's a it's a very basic part of your brain that all animals have. Um, and we have also a neocortex, and the neocortex is the command center, the thinking part of your, in the very front of your brain. And so your amygdala is like, if you're scared or attacked, the amygdala takes over and gives you that fight or flight. The neocortex helps you make calm, rational decisions. But if the amygdala gets hijacked, uh, as it does with my teenager, right? Um, she's not thinking rationally because she's just in her head. At that point, we just stop talking. Let, let, let's postpone this. Let's talk, come back to this when you're rational and you can think because of that, right? So this amygdala is getting hijacked in their brain and it's something that's happening in political discourse. You're not in imminent danger, but you feel like you are. So when you see, for example, a news story, I saw one yesterday that made me think of this. I saw a news story about um, the request for resignations at the Department of Justice for um, district for, I don't know what they call them, that there are attorneys in the Department of Justice that were Trump appointees. Four years ago, I saw a Facebook friend talking about how, see, this is evidence of fascism because Trump was doing the same thing. Now, it turns out that every president comes in from the other party will do that same thing. They'll ask for the resignations of those uh, attorneys at the Department of Justice and put in, the, they'll install their own people. So that's just part of the spoils of you know winning the election, that process. But when I was watching this last year, I was actually talking with a former student on Facebook and explaining this is a normal, rational process. But she was convinced beyond all doubt that this is evidence that Trump is a fascist and see what he's going to do to our country. Now, 
That rhetoric has kept up for four long years about Trump's a fascist, Trump's a fascist, Trump's a fascist, Trump's a fascist. When you think that your your enemy is the equivalent of Hitler, you can do whatever you want to him and by default to his people who you discount. And that's where we are. That's what's going on in this cycle. Okay. Now, the I say that on, on the side, those of you on the right, don't do that to Joe Biden going forward. You, you need to recognize that if you do this to, to the other side, you're going to perpetuate that same cycle. So you were persecuted for the last four years. Okay. But if you do this now, Biden hasn't really given us a lot of reasons for unity. He really hasn't. I mean, all the executive orders uh, uh, going on with the uh, Trump impeachment trial, it's, it's all poking uh, the right in the eye. There's been nothing unifying that I've seen. Maybe keeping on Fauci, Dr. Fauci, has been like the one thing that I've seen here that has been actually consistent. But everything else, but you, if you start, the temptation is to start calling him names. Now, oppose this policy all day long. That's fine. That's fair game. But if you start calling his name or writing, you know, impeach Biden or whatever. By the way, if you impeach Biden, you get Harris. So just be careful with that. Uh, if you're a conservative, because you, you, you go from one to another, which may be worse for you politically. Okay, at any rate, so yeah, just you just got to be careful. Okay, so let me get back to this. So Levy outlines three agreements, he says, uh, the, the article says, um, which are necessary to have with yourself. You have to have these uh, three ways of operating before you enter a political discussion. The first is don't rely on facts. The second is avoid moral superiority. And the third is use radical listening. Okay, when he says don't rely on facts, he doesn't mean don't have facts, don't, but, but recognize that your facts um, aren't, the, you know, your facts are interpreted different ways, or you might have different facts that are true facts that doesn't, don't matter to the other side. You're, you're in deep disagreement with somebody else. You're going to be operating out of political judgments, out of assumptions of how you think about politics. Um, let's take a different example instead of uh, January 6th, right? Let's look at uh, border crossings, right? So now border crossings have escalated significantly at the border since Trump left and since Biden came in. That's uh, Those are facts. But really, when people argue about it, they're not arguing about the fact of the escalation of border. They're arguing about a moral judgment about whether you should allow people who have broken the law just getting in, in, or and or allow them to go in a in a through a logical rational legal process or whether you think that anybody should be able to come in because hey this is america it gives us your tired your poor your huddled masses yearning to be free that's how your grandparents came they came you know as immigrants and refugees so shouldn't we allow others in right so it but those are two different moral assumptions it's not facts there are facts there, but we're arguing for moral assumptions. And he says this, for someone to accept what you are saying is true, it takes a sacrifice of their individual moral values. So recognize that that's what you're asking them to do in order to agree with you. So that's that's not going to happen. This is That's a fool's errand. Okay, so the second thing is beyond the facts and the moral assumptions behind them, you have to avoid this moral superiority. And if you start thinking, well, I'm morally superior because I hold this position, and therefore, by implication, the other person is less moral, 
you're never going to be able to see eye to eye. You've already put that person in a one down position. You've done that, not them. They haven't done it, but automatically you have placed them in a, in a uh, less morally sound place and you're never going to be able to agree. Now, this is the problem with virtue signaling. When you, you know, put virtue signal to show that like I'm with this thing or I'm with that thing, or I'm, you know, putting this um, banner up on Facebook to go with whatever the popular item is in the day. Yeah, when you virtue signal, you're going to have a whole different problem set because now you're going to see the other side in some way that is less than. So you can't do that or you're going to have another problem. Okay, and then he says this, you can come truly to understand an ideology that you don't agree with at, at all intellectually. You also realize when you listen to a conflicting point of view, it's not synonymous at all with agreeing with it or betraying yourself. Hey, just listen to the other side. That just listening to the other side and trying to, you know, understand, put put how they think into your framework, that will help you. But that doesn't mean that you have to agree with it. So last night. I'm listening to uh, the other side on cable news, and as they're describing me, people like me, and describing the way that I think, I'm thinking, that's a straw man. That's not me at all. I don't think like that. Now, I'm trying to listen to them because I'm trying to understand how they see the same facts that I saw because I thought it would be interesting. Like, you know, I'm, I'm disagreeing with what they're saying on, uh, in one part of the impeachment trial and agreeing very readily with what they're saying in the other. I'm a partisan. I see it one way and I don't see it the other. But then I'm trying to understand the way that they see it on the other side. But I don't think that they were trying to understand me. You need to understand them. You need to listen to those points of views. You need to listen and understand without necessarily agreeing. That's okay. You don't have to agree, but you have to at least try to understand them. Now, if you do those things, you will be a lot further down the pike. If you if you recognize um, that you know the other person, just because they see it that way, isn't less moral. If you recognize that you can, um, you know, their facts or their interpretation of the facts are going to be different and it's a moral assumption. And if you recognize that you can listen to other people and it's okay to listen, it's, it's good to listen to other people, um, you'll go a long way toward healing what divides us. Uh, because our brains are, if we're not careful, going to lead us into more and more political hatred. And again, it's amplified by things like social media, which are designed to uh, magnify that by bringing in all your uh, political partisan friends from your side who will echo. I mean, social media, Facebook becomes just this echo chamber and the minority voices get squashed out. And there's a lot of bitterness and hatred and, and animosity out on Facebook that's just it's, it's just not helpful in some ways. Okay, this brings us to our quotation for contemplation for today. It is from Persilis. Persilis said, just because you do not take an interest in politics doesn't mean that politics won't take an interest in you. It's kind of ominous, isn't it? Just because you don't take an interest in politics doesn't mean politics won't take an interest in you. All right. Well, thank you for listening to this. I hope that provides you some food for thought and helps you think about how you should be interacting with others. Um, just 
remember, you know, an undeserved curse doesn't come to rest. And so if you're attacking somebody and they feel, um, you know, attacked by you unjustly, uh, that's going to create a counter reaction. And then there's a reaction to the reaction and a reaction to the reaction to the reaction. And that's not something that you want to get into. Uh, that's just going to cause more strife. Instead, seek to be the light instead of cursing the darkness. Hey, thank you so much for your time. Thank you for listening to this episode. I hope that helps you become the kind of leader that you would want to follow. Thank you.